Stanford University. Welcome to Catholic Cardinal Reflections, the podcast of the Catholic community at Stanford University. In this ongoing series, you will hear Sunday homilies, reflections, and occasional talks from the Catholic community staff and guests. Today's speaker is Father Nathan Castle, the pastor and director of the Catholic community. His homily is for the 28th Sunday of Ordinary Time, Year B, October 11, 2009. Enjoy. He must have been in a fog, that rich young man. Right in front of him was God and flesh in the person of Jesus, inviting him to drop everything and come and be with me. But he couldn't see it. Fog makes things indistinct, unclear. What's right in front of you, you can miss. I know because I've been that rich young man. And oddly enough, in the same area of concern, over money. Have you ever had anybody walk into your life, maybe only briefly, say something and leave a huge impact? That ever happened to you? I was already a priest, I think I was 36, and I was in my first job as a pastor of a campus ministry at the University of California, Riverside. I was forced, along with all the other priests of the diocese, to come to a command performance meeting. That's not uncommon in the life of a priest. You have to go to a meeting, and they take names. This one happened to be about Money, stewardship, tithing, whatever. I didn't want to be there, and I don't think very many other people did either. But there we were. The speaker was a guy who had been brought in from the Midwest because he was reputed to be kind of the guru of of, uh, stewardship priests. His parish had people giving way more and consequently able to do all kind of things that most parishes couldn't do. And it was a joyful place, a place people were excited to be a part of. So he came to speak. I sat near the back. The guy got up and addressed us and said, gentlemen, let me first of all see a show of hands. How many of you are currently tithing a percentage of your income to the church you serve? I was in the back, I could see. Three hands went up out of about 200, and mine was not one of them. And he said, gentlemen, that's where we begin. We've been called to follow Jesus and to lead his people. They won't go where we point. They'll go where we lead. He went on to give a little resume of his kind of conversion to the practice of tithing. When I was a child, that sounded Baptist to me. It really wasn't a church, a Catholic church word so much. Anyway, he talked about his conversion to this way of life that involved a percentage of income gift, and he talked about the fact that 
that that was commonplace in Jesus' time, that Jesus would have been a tither, somebody who, res who received anything and immediately was grateful for it, all of it, but knew that they were only going to keep nine-tenths of it because the first tenth would be given back in service somehow, given for the common good. So he taught us, he said, when you receive a gift of any kind, maybe you do a wedding and you get tipped for doing the wedding, say thank you. But say thank you for that, for 90% of that gift. Put the other part aside and make sure that it's given back to your church before you even think of doing anything else with it. Well, I went home that night that, and I started that very day and I've never looked back. With any money that comes my way that's mine to do with as I please, granted there's not a lot, but there's always some, it always first gets tithed and set aside. And you get the first of it. Because you're my people. We don't live in the body of Christ generally, vaguely. We're specific people who live in a specific place and belong to a specific community. And so you have first claim on what's mine. And I give it to you. I do it through our website. It's automatic. You know? And if I get more than I've already kind of put in there automatic, I can always go back in and hit it again. It changed my life. Because what I, what I had been doing up to that time was thinking that when tithing came up, I was exempt. After all, <laughs> I have a vow of poverty. I remember my dad being so impressed with my vow of poverty because the deal in our household was that us five kids would get a college education for four years, a car, and a tank of gas. <laughs> and the accent was always on the tank of gas. The idea was, we've done our part, now go. Fly. Go make your way in the world and come back and see us once in a while. And we're only raising one generation of children. He often added that. <laughs> what I had done is I thought that I was exempt because I had made a, a vow of, of poverty. When I gave my car away to my younger sister, I'd only had it for a year, but I didn't need it anymore. I was joining the order. They have cars. I gave her the car. He made a big deal of that. He thought that that was really huge. And it kind of got his attention in more than it got mine. Made a big deal of it. Well, anyway. This poor guy. He's right in front of God-made flesh. And he even knows he's in the presence of holiness. Good teacher, he says, what must I do to inherit? See how he's thinking? How can I possess? How can I gain? How can I inherit? How can I hold on to? How can I inherit everlasting life? He's on the right track, but he doesn't get a pretty critical piece. He thinks that the goods of the earth are something that he should attract toward himself so that he can build a fence around them, hang on to them. 
Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God alone. I think Jesus is playing with it. Yeah, if you follow your own logic, you're this close. Nobody's good but God alone. I'm right here. Well, then he defaults to, well, you know, you, you follow the commandments. Don't steal, don't murder, so and so and so. And the guy says, teacher, I've done that since my youth. And then the sentence that I absolutely love the most, Jesus looked at him with love. The, the eyes of love. All the love in the universe condensed into two eyeballs right in front of you looking right at you and loving you. And the guy's in a fog. He doesn't see it. Jesus says, if you really, if you really want the whole thing, if you really want the fullness of the kingdom of God, it, it's me. Come follow me. Put everything else aside. Come follow me. And the poor guy whose name we don't even know because he disappears from the story, goes away, sad, because he owned many things. Oh, doesn't it break your heart? I, I know a fair amount about fog. It was foggy this morning. Lots of days around here it's foggy and until it lifts. Where I grew up on the Texas coast, the fog was up and down all the time, not as kind of predictable as it is around here. And my dad had to be out in it because he's a ship pilot. He's one of those guys, like the, one, the guy that steered the ship into the Bay Bridge in a fog. You weren't supposed to take it out in the fog. Well, we were never allowed to have jobs when I was growing up because as soon as we got our driver's license, dad needed us to take him to work because the ship might need to move at 3 o'clock in the morning. And he had workers right there under his roof, somebody he could wake up and say, time to go to work. So I'd drive him to work. Years later, he ended up in a fog of his own, Parkinson's disease. You've heard me speak of it before. And it, it so clouded his vision that he didn't know who we were any longer. And even to move his limbs, he walked kind of like Frankenstein. He had to kind of pull his limbs and make them go where he wanted to. I was home in the summer, I was watching a Houston Astros game. I was sitting in a chair, and I was reading the paper. And over on the couch, he was babbling. Because at that point, that's all he could do, was make noises. So after a while, you begin to just kind of hear the noises as just background noise. So I'm reading the paper, and I've kind of got the ball game going. But I get this feeling that that sort of sixth sense thing that somebody's over your shoulder. And I looked up, and there he was. He had moved himself over to the far end of the couch and was kind of leaning over into the space between the couch and the chair I was in. And he was looking right at me. And I looked at him, and he said, Son, I'm in my right mind. Is there anything you need? Well, he hadn't spoken anything intelligible in a year. But that was the line he always used when I was away at college. And I would call on the phone and he'd answer and say, Mama, Rob, I mean Nathan's on the phone. Because I changed my name. Rob, I mean Nathan's on the phone. 
And he'd, he'd be on the extension and he'd listen to the two of us talk until he got tired of it. He hardly ever had anything to say. But when he got tired of listening to my mom and I talk, he'd say, Son, I'm going now. Is there anything you need? And that always meant, do you need me to deposit money to your checking account? <laughs> and so I'd either say, well, yeah, I could use a little something. Or, no, I'm, I'm good, thanks. And then before he'd hang up, he said, don't talk about me now. And then he'd hang up. <laughs> well, now he's this old man that can do nothing much but gibberish. And he's looking at me going, son, I'm in my right mind. Is there anything you need? Well, I knew the fog had just lifted and it will come back quickly. But I had a, a little bit of time. So I said, Dad, you're really here. I'm sorry you're so sick. Mom is doing great. She's doing the best she can to take care of you. You worked really hard. You provided great for her. She's got all the money she needs. And I, I went down through the list of all five of us. All the married ones are good. Everybody got through college. Everybody's got jobs. You provided for all of us. It's all good. And by the time I got to the end of the list, we drifted away again. More just back into the gibberish. But there was a moment. It used to bug me so much that he could never just say, I love you. All he could do was say, do you need anything? But I was the one in the fog. All I heard was, do you need anything? What I didn't know and appreciate it at the time was he was saying, I love you, son. Do you need anything? Well, eventually I learned it. And oddly enough, it was the guy, that priest, that made me connect love and financial decisions. And it was only after several years of priesthood that I understood what the word father at the beginning of my name meant. And, and I grew into the knowledge of what it meant because I started taking part in supplying with, within my means for my people, for my family. And you weren't just the church or a congregation or a budget. You were you and you were you. And you and me belong to one another. And you're, you're Jesus right in front of me because he's in you and he's in me and I could miss that and I did miss it for a long time but not anymore so just in case any of you might still be walking around in a fog wake up it's sunny out look around and hear the voice of Jesus speaking to you and in case you, you ever let it enter into your mind that being a, a practicing Catholic was mostly about observing rules, yeah, well, that's all good. You, and you might say, I've done that all since my youth. Hear the voice of Jesus directed at you through me or somebody else around here saying, what I'd really love is for you to be with me and follow me. Put aside everything else. Spend the rest of your life giving it away in all the ways that you can think of giving it away. And come follow me. And I'll make you rich beyond all your imaginings.
The Catholic community at Stanford hopes you have found this edition of Catholic Cardinal Reflections fruitful. If you would like more information about us or our current activities, please visit us online at www.catholic.stanford.edu or come by our offices on the third floor of the Old Union Building, directly across from the Stanford Bookstore. Until next time, this is Father Carl Schlichte, OP, the podcast voice of the Catholic community at Stanford. God bless you. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.